How you guys doing? Good. Congratulations on being at church on the Time Change Sunday where everybody lost an hour of sleep. Uh, that, that means you're faithful. And uh, so as, thank you so much for being a part of this church and leaning in. And I'm just excited to, to walk us into week number two of this series we've been working our way through called I Am. And so essentially what we're doing, if you're just kind of tuning in um, with us or if you're just watching with us online this morning, uh, what we're doing, all four churches in the Zero Collective, we're walking through these seven I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John as we prepare our hearts for Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning when we celebrate the resurrection, celebrate what Jesus has done for us. And so uh, in the Gospel of John, seven different times, Jesus says the words, I am, and then he reveals something about himself, about who he is. And these seven I am statements pack a punch. They, they, they absolutely can have the power to transform our lives. So I'm excited to jump into week number two, and I'm going to start us out on a totally unspiritual note. Uh, so go ahead, if you will, to that first picture. Um, this is on the left there. That is a picture of Kurt Cobain's 1969 left-handed Fender Mustang. Um, now that guitar was made famous on the right, the picture on the right there from that video. That's Kurt Cobain playing in the Smells Like Teen Spirit uh, video um, in 1991 that just took over, pushed everything out of the number one, you know, top spots on the charts and just took over the world. I was 14 years old when that happened. I know that makes me super old in this room. How many of you actually can remember when that happened? And that okay. You guys are a lot more honest. First service is just kind of like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. I, I was, yeah, I never paid attention to anything but Christian music all my life. Um, so, uh, so thanks for the honesty in this service. I know where the, where you guys are coming from. So I, this, this, uh, I mean, I watch this all the time. Here's why I'm showing you this. This past fall, I read this news article that blew my mind. Somebody at an auction bought that guitar, the actual guitar that was used in that video for four and a half million dollars. Can you believe that? And I, my understanding is the person who bought it doesn't even play guitar. So, so they bought this because it's just so iconic. It's just this, you know, uh, thing that was featured in this video. And so um, here's the, the thing about that. I happen to own a right-handed 1969 Fender Mustang guitar. I've owned it for years and years and years. I am here to promise you, if I were to try to sell my Fender Mustang guitar at an auction, no one would offer me four and a half million dollars for it. You know why? Because the name Brian Bloom is attached to, to that guitar, right? It's not worth four and a half million dollars. The only reason that that in someone's mind was worth four and a half million dollars, that guitar, is because there is only one guitar like that. There's only one guitar who was owned by that guy who was played uh, on that song in that music video that there's only one like that, right? And that's why someone was willing to pay four and a half million dollars for it. And I say that to you because the words of Jesus, these I am statements of Jesus are kind of like that. They're, they're kind of, the uniqueness of them is kind of like that. In other words, they can and have been said by other people. In fact, in Jesus' time, actually, when he said these words, there were other people who made similar claims that Jesus made. Things like, I am the son of God. I am the Jewish Messiah. There were other people who said that in Jesus' day, and it made no impact. We don't know who those people are. Uh, but for centuries... Jesus' words have been transforming lives. Isn't that amazing? 2,000 plus years later, you know, crazy people can make statements like, I am the son of God, that, that sort of thing. Nobody believes it. I could say those words. It won't transform someone's life. But 2,000 plus years later, people are still encountering the words of Jesus, the claims he made about himself, and their lives are being transformed by that. 
That, that's incredible. In fact, Jesus, when he was crucified, he wasn't really crucified for any crimes he committed. He was actually crucified for the claims he made about himself. And that's what's so incredibly potent about his words. And so why is that? Why did Jesus' words transform people's lives when he said these things about himself? The reason is because Jesus really was who he said he was. He, he was who he claimed to be. Jesus was the only one who fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies about the Jewish Messiah. Some scholars think there were over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus personally fulfilled with his life in the Gospels. Jesus was also the only person ever who claimed to offer his life on the cross sacrificially for our sins. And Jesus is the only one who was witnessed as being risen from the dead. His words matter. His words have the power to transform us. When we take them into the core of our lives, we take them into our hearts and we believe them, they can transform our lives. They can change us like nothing else. And so with that being said, that's why we're looking at these I am statements. And so today I want to look at the second one of these. Last week, John started us out by looking at the statement, I am the good shepherd. And today we're going to look at, uh, uh, we, today we're going to look at um, uh, John chapter 8, verse 12. I'm going to preach a whole sermon on one verse. It's like hardly ever do I ever do that. But one verse we're going to look at today for this whole sermon. And this is it. Verse 12, it says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So that's the I am statement we're looking at to do. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows after me will never walk in darkness. They're going to have the light of life. Now, now those words would have really impacted people in Jesus' day when they said it. So Jesus is saying these words to his people, the Jewish people. And what you need to understand is the idea, the metaphor of light uh, was actually a really potent metaphor for the Jewish people. We still talk about light and use it as a metaphor today. I was just talking to a friend uh, who's just going through a rough time. And um, he said, I was like, how are you doing? And he goes, well, you know, it's, it's really dark right now, but I have, a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, what's it, what does he mean by that? He means like things are, are, I have a lot of despair, but there's hope. We still use that today. But in, in Jesus day, that metaphor of light had a lot more impact for the Jewish people the reason for that is if you go to the Bible, the very, very beginning of the Bible, it begins in Genesis chapter one, and it starts with this whole story of God creating the heavens and the earth. And so it's this beautiful poem of God creating everything. And guess what the very first thing is in all of creation that God creates? Take a guess. It's light. God begins everything by saying, let there be light. And not only is it the first thing that God created, it's also the very first thing in all of creation he called good. God saw that it was good. And so this idea of light, for the Jewish people, they believed only God could make light. Only God could produce light. He's the only one who, who could do that. And what makes this claim of Jesus even more significant than that is the fact that in John 7 and John 8, Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. So he's actually at the feast when he makes this statement, I am the light of the world. Now, uh, for the Jewish people, they, uh, during the Feast of Tabernacles, they were celebrating that God had led them out of slavery and bondage in Egypt, and he had been the light, literally from a pillar of fire at night, guiding them through the wilderness. And so what they would do at the Feast of Tabernacles is they would light this huge candelabra, okay? It was called a menorah. It was, it was there. Uh, it was part of the temple. It was part of the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they would celebrate that God was the light for his people that had led them through the wilderness, they said, do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is stepping right into the middle of that. And he's saying, actually, it's me. I I'm the light of the world. I'm the one. 
I'm the one it all pointed to. I'm the true light of the world. It's, it's nobody else but, but me. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, here's what we do. He, he, he's claiming to be God. That's what he's doing. He's claiming to actually be God. If God is the only one who makes light, if he's the only one that leads his people, Jesus is saying, I am divine. But even more than that, we oftentimes you know, misinterpret Jesus' words. The way we oftentimes read Jesus' words when he says this statement is we read him as saying, you know, if you don't have me, the light of the world, if you're not careful, you could fall into some darkness. Things could get dark for you if you don't have me. That's actually not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is actually saying here in this passage, he is saying the default position of every human being is darkness. The, the default position of our entire world is darkness. That's it. That's reality. Darkness is the reality. And Jesus is saying, I am the only light there is that can come into your darkness. It's just me. That, that's the claim he's making, which is a profound statement. It's a bold statement. And so I want to just unpack that a little bit uh, together here in the next few minutes. And so I, I just want to talk about there, if you go to the next screen, uh, I just want to talk about two ways that this statement offends us, two promises that Jesus gives us in this verse, and then two ways that we can respond to this claim that Jesus made. I am the light of the world. So two ways it offends us, two promises Jesus gives us that are in this verse, and then two ways that we can respond to it. So uh, I want to start out by offending you this morning. <laughs> Not really. Actually, I didn't come here wanting to offend you. But so I, I don't want to start out with, with this uh, just to offend people. But I really believe if we don't see the offensiveness of this claim, we don't really get it. We don't understand what Jesus was actually saying unless we can really understand the offensiveness of it. So the two ways this offends us, one has to do with the word light, and that offends a whole group of people. And that, well, the other has to do with the word world, and that tends to be offensive. So for the first one, light, Jesus is literally saying, I'm the only light there is. I'm the only moral divine law there is in this world. Now, uh, you know, liberal people that tend to be left-leaning in our, in our woke culture will, will say, you know, like, live your truth. You know, you're, there's your truth, there's my truth. Love is love, however you define love. And what Jesus is saying is, no, actually, there's just me. It says, I am the light of the world. I'm the only truth there is. I, I'm the standard that it all measures itself by. So if you only have science, if you only have your truth or your definition of love, however you would define it or whatever, then your world is very dark. And the reason for that is, is because you can't really have any true hope or any true understanding, uh, no ultimate meaning of what's beyond this world, unless there is some kind of a standard, unless there is no, uh, there is some kind of a moral divine law, as Martin Luther King uh, talked about it. So what happens is if we don't like embrace this, if we don't let it offend us a little bit and let it into our lives, we end up believing half-truths. What does a half-truth like, sound like? Half-truths sound like this. Uh, you know, you, even Christians, like we'll go to the Bible and, and we believe kind of these half truths that they sound like this. Um, you know, God loves you and he wants you to be happy. I mean, that's true, right? I can, I can take you to verses of the Bible where that, that could be true. God loves you and he wants you to be happy. Absolutely true. The, the second part though, therefore just do whatever makes you happy, right? Like if it makes you happy and God loves you and he wants you to be happy, then just do whatever makes you happy. And it couldn't be wrong, right? And that's a lie because actually, no, some things are wrong just because they're wrong, because some things are sin. 
And the reason that I say that is not because uh, that's my opinion or that's somebody else's opinion. It's because that's what Jesus said, and that's what Jesus affirmed. And Jesus said, I am the light. I, I the, the things that Jesus called sin, the things that he affirmed, the things that he uh, held to as truth, those are the things we have to measure ourselves by. So I am the light of the world. But at the same time, the word world has the, the potential to offend conservative people who tend to be more right-leaning. Don't worry, I'm coming all the way back around for you. <laughs> uh, we're going to get to everybody here. So uh, a lot of us, we have a, a problem with the fact that Jesus said, I'm the light for the whole world, not just for Israel, not just for America, for the whole world. So Jesus is kind of a, you know, like an equal opportunity offender here because he, what he's saying is if your corner of the human race is all you've got, your world is very dark. J Jesus really came and he said, I, I came to be the light for the entire world. That means white people and black people, Hispanic people. It means younger generation. It means older generation. It means, you know, Protestant, Catholic, Wesleyan, Baptist, you know, wh whatever the divisions are that we make in our world. It means Amer Americans that are born here in this country. It means illegal immigrants to this country. He's literally saying, I am the light for the world. No one group of people gets to have an exclusive claim on Jesus. And for his people, you know, that, that would have been offensive to them. And in the same way, it's very offensive to us. In fact, if you want to go uh, one step further, when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, the word world there is the Greek word cosmos. It's K-O-S-M-O-S. -S. And it referred to more, it referred to people. It referred to every single human being on this planet. Jesus is saying, I'm the light for every single human being, but I'm also the light for the cosmos, the created world. So Jesus is the way the world was created. It's all sustained through him and by him, and he cares for it. We should care about this world, the environment, the world that we live in. And Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm the light of the world. If all you've embraced in your life up to this point is the American gospel, it is sort of like, you know, where God is only for America or some version of America, uh, then you've embraced a false gospel that isn't based on what Jesus actually claimed about himself. He said, I am the light. I'm the only true light there is. And I'm the light of the world, not just Israel, not just America, not just your group of people for everybody. So now that I've thoroughly offended you, I think you see how the, this statement you know, comes into our lives and it has the potential to really offend us. And for, for lots of people, that's what's happened over the centuries. But if we can embrace it, if we can allow, uh, you know, if we can allow ourselves to embrace this truth about who Jesus claimed to be, then there are two incredible promises that become ours. Two incredible promises that Jesus gives us when we embrace uh, this idea that I am the light of the world, what Jesus says. The first thing he says is you will never walk in darkness. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows after me will never walk in darkness. What an incredible claim. Because we know, don't we? Our world is dark. You don't have to look very far. Even just in, in our world right now, all the things that are happening, you know, all, all the you know, things that are happening in the news, things that are happening across the globe. Jesus says, you'll never walk in darkness. This is a direct re reference to salvation. Jesus came to offer us salvation in him. And Isaiah chapter nine, this is the passage that we, you know, we read it most oftentimes during Christmas time, where literally it's talking about the Messiah that when he would come and it says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For those walking in the land of the shadow, a light has dawned. 
Jesus is literally saying, I'm that light. I'm the one the world has been waiting for. And, and I've come to bring light into darkness. If you have me, if you follow after me, you don't walk in darkness. You don't live out of a place of hopelessness, out of a place that this is just as good as it gets. Your life is headed somewhere. Your life, your life has a trajectory. There's uh, literally a, a light at the end of the tunnel, a place where your life is going. What's amazing to me about the end of the Bible, we just talked a moment ago about the beginning, right? Genesis 1, the very first thing of all creation is light. That's what God creates. But the amazing thing is if you go to the very end of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 2 ends with this picture of heaven, this picture of our eternal home when we know Christ. It's, it's this picture of, you know, the, the new heaven and the new earth. And what it says is in the new heaven and new earth, there's not going to be any sun or any moon. Which I'm, you know, you read that as a Michigander and you're like, okay, well, yeah, as I'm used to that pretty much. There's no, you don't see any sun, you don't see any moon, there's just nothing, it's just clouds. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that. What it's saying is at the very end, there won't be any need for the sun. There won't be any need for the moon because Jesus himself will be the light. In the new heaven and the new earth, you won't need a sun because Jesus will be the light. So that's the point that everything is heading toward. Jesus says, you'll have me. You'll never walk in darkness. He says, literally, at, and at the end of the time, it's going to be me. I'm going to be the only light there is. It's the only light that's revealed. That's the one we worship. That's the one our, the world desperately needs to know. The second promise that he gives us in this is he says, we will reflect the light of life. We'll never walk in darkness. And we'll, our lives will actually shine forth. We'll, we'll, our lives will actually be this reflection of the light of Christ. Now, what is, it's not saying that if you follow after Jesus, you'll have your own light, right? That you'll have your own light that you're, you're shining. Uh, in fact, the word have is the Greek word echo there. So it's kind of like an echo is like a reflection. That's exactly what, it, what it's talking about. So a lot of times we read this and we go, well, if I have Jesus and I just work really hard to be like Jesus, then I'll have my own light and I'll shine that, you know, for the world to see. No, what he's saying is there is no light unless you're just allowing my light to shine through your life and, and being reflected. So if I could give you a picture, go ahead to that if you would. This is what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be like the moon. You understand this, right? The moon has no light of its own. The moon, the moon isn't, uh, you know, shining forth anything. The moon is just reflecting what? The sun. It's just reflecting the light of the sun. That's exactly what we're supposed to be as followers of Christ. When you, when you know Jesus, when he's in your life, not only will you never walk in darkness, but you can reflect the light uh, of Christ. Just like the moon, our beauty as the church is best revealed, not when we're trying to shine our own light, but when we are just simply reflecting who Jesus is and who he called us to be, that's, that's when our beauty is exposed as a church. You only see the moon when it's in this position where it's actually just reflecting the light of the sun back to the earth. And that's when you see its beauty. That's when, when it's visible. That's what we're called to be. In our jobs, in our schools, uh, on Instagram, <laughs> On social media, that's what we're called to be right there. The moon, reflecting the light of Christ. And that's the promise Jesus gives us. He says, that's what you'll have. You'll never walk in darkness and you'll have this light reflecting out that is going to be attractive to the rest of the world. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, another place, Jesus says, literally, uh, that, that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. He says, you're, you're going to be the light of the world as my followers. And so this is such an powerful and an impotent statement. 
And so those are the promises that we get if we allow ourselves to get past kind of the offensiveness of the statement, embrace it. But then the most important part of this whole, uh, you know, sermon this morning is how do we respond to that? Right? Because everything I've been talking about up to this point has been information. And, and lots of us know the information. It's, it's one thing to fill your head up with information. It's a totally different thing to say, what do I do with that? Because transformation in our lives actually comes when we take that within ourselves and we respond to it. And so how do we respond this morning? Two ways you can respond to this claim of Jesus. And I think all of us are probably in one of these two categories. But the way we basically respond to this claim is through surrender. So we don't bring our effort. We don't bring our self-effort. We don't bring our, uh, you know, work. We bring our surrender. That's what God invites us to bring when he claims, I'm the light of the world. And so two things, two ways, two things we can surrender. First of all, for some of us here in this room, or or if you're watching online with us, um, what you need to surrender is your darkness. What does it mean to surrender your darkness? So all of us have darkness beyond our control that we wrestle with. Um, things that are too big for us to deal with. Maybe it's cancer in your family. Maybe it's, you know, an addiction that nobody knows about, but you're struggling with it and it's dark. It's taking you down paths and there's just a hopelessness to it. Maybe it's generational sin that just keeps recurring again and again in your family and you can't seem to get distance from it. Uh, maybe it's same-sex attraction. I don't know what it is, but all of us have some form of darkness that we wrestle with beyond our control. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, I am the light. I'm the only light there is. The, the goal here, though, the response is not try harder to be good. Try harder to overcome your darkness. That's not what Jesus says. He says, you can't. You have to bring your darkness to me. You have to bring it into my light. You have to be willing to be honest with it. Confession repentance, uh, you know, walking in the light. These are, these are references. These are words that we use to describe what it means to come into the light and allow Jesus to have our darkness. And here's the beautiful part about that. Jesus, when he, sa when he says, I'm the light of the world, we understand this, right? Light cancels darkness. And the lie that we believe a lot of times is if, if I bring my darkness into Jesus, you know, the light is going to cancel me. I'm going to be shamed. I'm going to be canceled. I'm going to be cast aside. That's not what happens. When we bring our darkness to Jesus, when we confess our sins, when we repent, when we say, this is too big for me, I can't just try harder to fix this in my life. Light has the power to come into our darkness and it cancels darkness. Light doesn't cancel people. That's good news. That's what Jesus wants to do for every single human being. Some of you, your world is dark right now. You've, and you've believed this lie that this is as good as it gets. Or maybe you've even believed the lie that I this is what I deserve. This is just, you know, how my life's going to be from now on. It's a lie. Jesus gave us this promise, I'm the light of the world. When you follow after me, you don't have to walk in darkness anymore. Light doesn't cancel people. Light cancels darkness. You need to surrender your darkness to him today. The second uh, way we can respond to this um, is to come to a place where we surrender our light. I'll be honest with you, this is the hard one for me. Um, this is way, way more the hard one at this point in, in my life. At the heart of every single one of us 
just like we were just talking about the moon reflects the light of Christ, all of us, we have some way we're trying to create our own life, some way we're using something to prop ourselves up, some good effort on our part to make ourselves a person. We all have light that we're trying to save ourselves with. Maybe for you, maybe it's work. You know, I, I, your career, just work harder, get a bigger paycheck, move up the ladder, and then I'll be someone. I'll have a self. I'll be important. And what we're ultimately doing is we're looking for that thing to save us. We don't maybe use that language, but that's what it is. We, we, maybe for you, it's not work. Maybe it's for you, it's beauty or looks, you know, to, to be desired by other people, to get more clicks and likes with the right, you know, filter on. Maybe it's, you know, to stand on the scale and have it say the, the right weight. And then if I can just get to there, then I'll be acceptable. Then I'll be lovable. We, we all have ways, don't we? Light, the ways that we try to prop ourselves up, the way that we try to, you know, rescue ourselves, make ourselves and our lives meaningful. Uh, for some of us, maybe it's family. You know, if I get married, if I have children and, and, and the picture looks just like this and the family's perfect, then everything's going to be great. Then life's going to be perfect. And we set our hope in these things, just kind of like we were just singing about when those words, uh, firm foundation, I put my faith in Jesus. I put my hope in Jesus. That, that's such a significant thing because what we oftentimes do is we say, no, I, I want to put my, my hope in something that feels to me a little more stable, like my money, like my career, like my looks, like my whatever it is. We all have that stuff. And what Jesus is literally saying is if you want the life that's really life, if you don't want to have to walk in darkness anymore, if you want to literally ex experience life that's true life, that's the fullest life you can possibly have, you have to surrender even your good things, even your light, even the things, your pedigree, the things that you would say, man, these are the, this is the stuff I'm the most proud of in my life. This is the stuff I want everybody to know about me. Jesus says, give that stuff up to me and then you're going to experience real light not artificial light that you've created for yourself, but you're going to experience the full life that you, that you can only have in me. Some of us, we can't figure out, man, I, like I'm not doing anything horrible or bad, but God just seems so distant in my life. I'm not like a, like committing some horrible sin. Maybe your, your, your thing that you need to surrender is not darkness. Maybe what's really happening and there, the distance between you and God is because you, you haven't surrendered your light and you're cl still clinging to that thing that would prop yourself up. I'll close with this. Uh, he's talking about this idea of surrendering your light. Uh, I have four uh, boys, and um, there was a stretch when my boys were younger where what they like their favorite thing to do was to build a campfire in the backyard. Anybody else? Did you, did you do that with your family or at all? Ever you know go in the backyard and build like bonfires, campfires? So there was a stretch where my boys just loved doing that. And in fact, my son Andrew specifically, every single night there was like a summer where as soon as the sun would start to set, he'd be like, "Dad, can we make a fire tonight?" And I, and, and he just, they loved like building a campfire, roasting marshmallows and, you know, just sitting around telling stories, laughing, you know, and my wife loved it too. Cause she was just like, yes, please take them outside and build a fire. Just bring them back in and put them like, she was like, that's great. Just do it. Just, you know, and so for night after night, I would take my boys out there and we'd make these campfires. Well, eventually, you know, I remember that we had this uh, tree that had fallen down and we chopped it up. So we had these huge logs but then, you know, eventually, like at night after night, you've picked up all like the small branches in your yard. So there's like nothing left in the, you know, no kindling, no tinder. And so I remember this one night, uh, the sun was going down and Andrew comes to me again. And he goes, Dad, can we make a fire tonight? And I, I was like, 
I can't make a fire. I wanted to, but I was like, I, there's nothing to make a fire with. There's no kindling, no, no tinder. All we've got is these big logs. Sorry, buddy. Not tonight. We, we, there's no, nothing to make a fire with. And I'll forget, he, he didn't say anything. He just like went inside. And a few minutes later, he comes back outside and his arms are just full of all these papers. And he, he comes up to me and I, I look and what he's got in his arms, he's got all these drawings that he made. Andrew loves to draw still, even to this day, he still has kind of that artistic uh, edge to him. And so he, he would spend hours just sitting there drawing all these pictures and he was proud of them. In fact, a lot of the pictures were like on our refrigerator or whatever. He'd go like, dad, look at this picture I drew is literally what he had done. He'd gone inside the house. He pulled all these pictures down off the refrigerator. He gathered them up off his desk, all the places where they were hung up. He got them in a big pile and he'd come outside and he had them in his arms and he comes up to me. He says, here you go, dad. Now you have something to start the fire with. And that moved me so much as a, as a father that like he wants to be with me that bad. He wants to be together that much that he would gather up his most prized possessions, the, the things that he's the most proud of, that he's worked the hardest on in his life and say, let it all burn. That's fine. You can have it. Light it on fire. Just so I might be with you. Do you get it? That, that's us with God. That's us with our heavenly father. How many stories are there like that in the scriptures? Jesus calls the disciples, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. They pull their boats up on the shore. They drop it and they leave it all behind. Elijah comes to Elisha. He's plowing 12 oxen in the field. You're rich in that day if you had 12 oxen. And he comes up and the guy had a job. He had a career. He, uh, Elijah throws his cloak. Remember the story, if, you, if you've read that, around Elisha's uh, shoulders, telling him like, hey, I've, there's a whole life for you. There's, some, there's a calling on your life. And it says Elisha chops up the, the plow to make the wood for the fire, sacrifices the oxen, burns it all, walks away. That's the invitation. Jesus is literally saying, I am the light of the world. There's no better light than me. You have to come at some point that what moves the heart of God, what invites him into deeper places into our lives, a deeper walk with him is when we say, you can have it all. My accolades, my past that I would prop myself up with, my resume, my efforts, my accomplishments, you can have it all, let it burn that I might have you and nothing else. Just, I just want you. That's what invites the Holy Spirit into our lives. That's what invites God to do greater and greater things. So that's the invitation this morning is Lord, let your spirit come. We, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, in this place. We want you to consume it all. Let it all burn that we could have you. Would you do this? Would you stand with me? I just want to lead us into a moment of prayer. And again, this is not a prayer of self-effort. This is not a prayer of trying harder. This is a prayer of surrender this morning. So I just want to talk to two different people, maybe with our heads bowed, maybe right now. Are you in a place where your world is dark? Do you need to surrender your darkness? Maybe, maybe we're in this moment right now, even as we're just standing here before the Lord, maybe for you it's, man, I believe this lie that I just deserve this. Maybe you believe this lie that I'm just going to keep trying harder and trying harder to make myself presentable to God. And the beautiful thing this morning is that when we surrender our darkness to him, when we admit 
that we can't do it on our own, that we're worn out by our own self-effort, that, that we're weary, that we can't fix it. When we do that, light doesn't cancel us. Light, his light cancels darkness. Is there anywhere you just need to say, Jesus, even just in, in an effort to just hands out, palms up, that's a picture of surrender, right? Our, our palms are up, I'm surrendering, I'm letting go. God, you can have my darkness. You can have this thing. I don't know what to do with it. It's too big for me. The diagnosis is too big for me. The debt is too big for me. The, you know, whatever it is, the addiction is too big for me. Maybe for, for others of us in this room, maybe it's the second one. That's, that's me. Maybe this morning you just need to see, God, God, you can have my light. God, forgive me for the ways that I've propped myself up. I've uh, allowed myself to find my own light and my own ego, my own pride, you know, my own things that I would try to rescue myself with. Jesus, you can have it all. Set it all on fire. I set it on fire. I lay it on the altar. Let it be just burned up. I just want you. I just want more of you in my family. I want more of you in my life. I want less of me, less of my effort, more of you, more of you shining and reflecting your light through me in my workplace in my marriage, my relationships. Jesus, to that end, we just come and we just invite you just to make yourself at home in our, in our lives, God. For some of us, uh, it's dark out here. It's dark in this world. We see it everywhere we look. And so, Jesus, uh, we resist the, the temptation uh, to try to fix it ourselves, to try to even... Um, create our own light by just being like perfect people. And we just recognize, God, you are the only one who could make that claim. And you're the only one that's been changing lives for 2000 plus years. And you're, only, you're the only one that can fix our broken planet even right now, because you are the only light of the world there is. So come into our, our lives, God, come into our darkness. Make us into the people you called us to be. As we go back to our homes, as we go back to our our uh, places of work this week, as we go back to the world, um, God, that, that we would truly just be a reflection of your light to others who do, so desperately need it. And to that end, God, we love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for you, the sacrifice you made so that we could be brought in, that you gave up life so that we could have life, that you went, you were plunged into darkness so that we could be brought into light. We just praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said...